is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of May 8th. 2023 we had quite a bit of jeopardy this week a lot actually yeah a lot of jeopardy we will talk about five of the episodes of jeopardy Mm -hmm. as is our custom and we're figuring out what we'll do about masters but likely whatever we do is going to be on the patreon anyway so yeah we'll talk about we'll talk about five of the episodes of jeopardy this week but before we get into all of that how are you doing kyle I'm doing all right. It is swiftly approaching the end of the school year. Today was yes, my last is. day with seniors. We mm-hmm. had our senior farewell. Oh, so nostalgic. It was very touching, yes. Yeah. And I had my last concert this week, so just lots of lasts and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm doing fine. How yeah. are you? I am a... I'm good. <laughs> the, the okay slash good hesitation. Yep. No, I'm I'm doing all right. My daughter is having dance recitals this weekend, and my son is doing a lot of little league and preparation to bridge from elementary school to middle school mm. because here in this district, the fifth grade is in the middle school. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. Fifth grade is located in the middle school. It's still like you have a classroom teacher who teaches all your core subjects, like in elementary school. I think that it, I think that it's like a space issue. Okay. More than actually properly like middle school, middle school starting in fifth grade. But yeah, we're, we're, we're getting ready to, to send the fourth graders off to their new building, which, Mm. oh, my heart. And Tears of the Kingdom dropped. The most important update. The most important update. I did beat Breath of the Wild before Tears of the Kingdom dropped. Although video game people will know Breath of the Wild is an enormous game with a gajillion possible things you could do. And you don't need to do anywhere near all of them to beat Mm. the final boss. So, you know, so I have like lots of stuff I haven't explored in breath of the wild still but i've started tears of the kingdom and oh boy is it great it's so good also i feel like a complete dunce because there are all of these new abilities and things that i don't know how to manage (laughs) yes yeah and there are times when the game is clearly trying to teach me to do something new and i can't quite figure it out and i end (laughs) up doing like the most inelegant solution possible if it's a solution and then Mm -hmm. then it's a solution yeah i I think the game was trying to teach me how to make a boat and what i ended up doing was connect chopping down like 20 trees and connecting them together to make the world's longest and worst log bridge (laughs) (laughs) so it's 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 been interesting so far and one day in yeah Uh, i had a friend this was back in college when assassin's creed the first game came out he like, for whatever reason, just couldn't figure out the tutorial where it's like, 
hold this button to move through a crowd without disturbing mm-hmm. anyone. And he just like, I don't know why he couldn't figure out how to hold that button down while moving. So he just like quit and didn't play the game. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you can't beat the tutorial. I'm like, what do you mean? You can't? It's a tutorial, man. What do you mean you can't beat it's nothing it? to beat. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. like, I just, I just, I'm just not going to play it. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> so I get, I, I understand that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, I'm glad you are. I will, I will get to tears of the kingdom after I play breath of the wild. So yeah. it'll be a while. Yeah. Yeah. Breath of the wild is a huge game. So many hours in that game and so much still to do. Hey, I didn't check in with you about this before we started recording. Have you seen the news about Jeopardy and the writer's strike? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I am initially disappointed, and I wonder if there's more Yeah. to it. Because, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. If you're if you are listening to the podcast, this is this is just kind of coming out as we're like as we're recording. So I'm curious, you know, like I'm curious if there's more that may come out in you know in the future. But there were some articles today that Mayim Bialik has stepped stepped back from hosting during the writers' strike in solidarity. And Ken Jennings is hosting. They are moving yeah. forward with taping. Yeah. Yeah. Which... It's just kind of disappointing all around. Yep. Like, I don't know. Ken doesn't, didn't seem like a union buster kind of guy. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Agreed. And I think, I mean, a, a thing that's come up in my circles is, you know, they really, they can't tape without a host. Right. And so if, if Ken were willing and able to, you know, n- cancel, you know, not, not be available during the writer's strike, then they could not tape. They can move forward if they have Ken. And that means that everybody else involved in the production contestants, all the staff have to, you know, kind of decide whether they're willing to cross the picket line, right. which puts everybody in a tough position. Right. Yeah. So... I don't know. I guess we'll see kind of how that proceeds. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it resolves quickly and entirely in favor of the writers. Yeah. Because as we've said, we're pretty sure at least one of the writers listens to the show. We're not, mm-hmm. we, we actually have no idea. We were speculating yeah. on that, but yeah. whether they do or not, they are awesome and yeah. deserve, I, I don't know, deserve dignity and respect mm-hmm. and to be like, fairly compensated for their work agreed yep like like, like most if not all mm-hmm. workers <laughs> i don't know kyle i mean the entertainment business pretty shoestring budgets no no <laughs> yeah no. shoestring budgets <laughs> and everyone involved is rich super rich mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah writers need to be appropriately compensated for their work so all right. Well, this this week's episode is taped before the writer's strike, so no moral quandaries here, just Jeopardy. And so Monday, May 8th, the contestants are Juveria Zahir, a psychiatrist from Whitby, Ontario, Canada, Sammy Casanova, an actuary from New York, New York, and Hannah Wilson, a data scientist from Chicago, Illinois, whose three-day cash winnings total $90,601. 
And the Jeopardy round categories are Scandal, Pop Music Podge, Gone Fishing, Yeet, Children's Lit, <laughs> and Consonant Craving. Yeet. Yeah. I, 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 I wonder how many, how many people watching Jeopardy actually understood what the theme of the category was. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, if you, if you look at the clues, like you can kind of figure out it's like people getting thrown out of things or being sent mm-hmm. away. And I wonder if there was a connection made. Like, I, I just, I just wonder if anybody actually like learned what yeet means. I, yeah. <laughs> or if it was just kind of like, I don't know what that is, but this is trivia questions. Yeah. They used it in context a couple of times. So thousand dollar clue. Yeah. And the 600 also. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 600 in 2002, this computer yeets Frank Poole off into space, but still has Dave to contend with. Hannah got that one, hell, 9,000. And then the $1,000 level in Greek myth after he was born lame, his mom yeeted him out of heaven, but he returned and made Hermes winged helmet. (laughs) Juveria tried what is Vulcan, and Sammy got the rebound with Hephaestus. Those are... Greek and Roman counterparts, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Vulcan is the Roman, but it's, mm-hmm. it's said specifically it's Greek. Specifically, it said Greek. Yeah. That's. <laughs> Yeeted him out of heaven is a real, just, <laughs> real, just light way to, to say literally, ca- like, threw her baby away. <laughs> Ridiculous. But, uh, you know, good on the writers for doing that. Once again, yes. we love the writers. Well done, writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They struggled some with the children's lit category. Got the $200 level about Paddington and then missed the 400. A girl is part of a non-traditional, especially for children's books family in 1989's Heather has two these. Juveria tried moms, but you had to get the title right. It's mommies. There was a $600 clue about MC Higgins the Great that nobody got and the 800 about Raggedy Ann was also a triple stumper. Not the chestnuts that we sometimes see in, in children's literature categories. These are not ones that come up a ton on Jeopardy. Yeah. Which, I mean, I appreciate yeah. getting some variation in there. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are more than 12 children's books in the world. So oh? I know. <laughs> no. Daily Double number one is in that children's lit category. It's the $1,000 clue. Pick number 13, Sammy finds it. She's at 1,400. Hannah's at 5,600. Javeria is at 800. And she wagers 1,000 and gets the clue. Though he comes from another world, not from France, this diminutive guy appeared on the 50 franc note for many years. And she gets it correct with, oh, what is the little prince? Mm-hmm. My, my brain saw not from France, diminutive guy. And I was like, oh, it's Napoleon. she doesn't quite fit the children's lit category but i was like got it nailed it that's great glad i wasn't up there that'd have been terribly embarrassing (laughs) and so at the end of the jeopardy round hannah is at 7200 sammy's at 3600 javeri is at 2800 and the double jeopardy categories are be cool with the letter b in quotation marks the south pacific the quotable alex futility American woman and what kind of TV place you live in. The 
$1,600 clue of the quotable Alex was so dumb, or at least the way that it panned out. The clue was an author and former prisoner, quote, socialism of any type and shade leads to a total destruction of the human spirit. Juveria guessed a variation on Solzhenitsyn, but didn't have the zhe in the right place. Sammy guessed uh, a different variation on Solzhenitsyn, I think without the zhe in the right place. And then Hannah said, who's Solzhenitsyn, which really should have been accepted. Yeah. I like, I don't, I don't know how much closer she needed to get. Right. That's a hard name to pronounce for non-Russian speakers, like Mm -hmm. primarily. And all three of them clearly knew it. Mm -hmm. And I realized the rule is, you know, your pronunciation has to match the spelling in some way. But like, just don't make a clue about Solzhenitsyn then. Like, yeah, (laughs) where this is going to be an issue, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Or allow yourself to be a little bit, you know, flexible with the ruling. Yeah. I sort of would like to see a supercut of accepted pronunciations of Solzhenitsyn. I probably didn't say that right over the years. Who knows? They're, because no knows. I suspect that a lot of them were not worse than not not much better than than these ones, which were yeah. not expected. Yeah, they were probably ballpark, mm-hmm. like, which is fine. Yeah, that bugged me. Like the the first one, like Juvarius, I was like, oh yeah, you, you put the. I remember she had the j, like the the z kind of sound in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. But then, but then the next two, I was like, "That's awfully close." Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving mm-hmm. on to something much more important and relevant and meaningful. Uh, the bebop clue at the, the bebop clue mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. The twelve hundred dollar level of be cool. There are two bees in the name of this jazz style, pioneered by Charlie Parker and other hep cats. That's Hepcats. that is bebop. We were just talking about bebop. Yes. Last week. Just last week? Just last week we were talking about it. The, the first pick of the round was a $1,200 clue of what kind of TV place you live in. And the clue <laughs> was Chris Farley as Matt Foley down by the river. And that's a that's a fun one to start this category on. <laughs> Reagan was like, what's in a van? <laughs> Ken was like, yeah, that's yeah. in a van. In a van down by the <laughs> down river. By the river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have mentioned this before. I will continue to do it. The $2,000 level of the quotable Alex, which I was sort of hoping was going to be a set of Alex Trebek quotations mm-hmm. about various topics, but it was, you know, quotes from various people named Alex. Anyway, the $2,000 level. An artist, why must art be static? The next step in sculpture is motion. So you need to know one. It, does, it doesn't explicitly say that this is a mobile, I guess, artist. But motion should maybe should get you there. There is yeah. one mobile artist that you need to know for Jeopardy, and it is Calder. And that yep. was who this was. Hannah knew it. Mm-hmm. Of course, Hannah knew it. Yeah. Daily double number two is in futility at the $1,600 level. Pick number three. Hannah finds it. She's at $9,600. Sammy's at $3,600. Juveria is at $2,800. Hannah wagers 4,000 and gets the clue. The scene of heavy fighting and futility in World War I, this peninsula bears a name that comes from the Greek for beautiful city. And she knows it is Gallipoli. I just recently mentioned Gallipoli. Yes, and a quiz question that I missed. Yes. Yes. From Australia, I believe. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. 
Yes. And Daily Devil number three is Amer- in the American Woman category at the $1,600 level. Pick number 20. Javeria finds it. Uh, she is at 7,600. Hannah's up to 20,000. And Sammy is at 2,800. And she wagers 7,000. Love mm-hmm. the move. Yep. Gets the clue. Soon to mother a brood of actors of this last name. Georgiana Drew married actor Maurice in 1876. And they showed a picture. And she gets correct with was Barrymore. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Hannah's at 21,200, but Juveria has made it up to 17,000. Sammy's at 4,000. And the final Jeopardy category is numerical book titles, where we find the clue. This 2007 best-selling novel takes its title from a line in the poem Cobble by the 17th century Persian poet Saib. Sammy does not come up with a response and has instead the message, what is, this was fun, which I also thought Jeopardy was fun. <laughs> yeah. That's correct. But but not for this, not, doesn't fit, you know, not, not for this clue. Uh, she's wagered all but $2, so she drops down. Juveria responded, what is seventh heaven? That is not correct either. And she has wagered everything, which... Is too much. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. She can make it up to 34000 if she goes all in. So we are expecting Hannah to bet 13000 or so. If Hannah misses, she's going to drop to about 8000 So in Juveria's position, you want to bet not more than 9000 or so, right? You want to mm-hmm. stay above 8000 that's all that's that's ballpark because the numbers are not exactly round but anyway that's that's too much to be you know strategically optimal it also drops her to zero and sammy's at two so juveria is going to finish in third place and hannah has it correct what is a thousand splendid sons with a thirteen thousand dollar wager which puts her at thirty four thousand two hundred dollars and gives her her fourth win yep so on tuesday we have the contestants Joe Forty, a project manager originally from Wyndham, New Hampshire, Raquel Mata, a copy editor from San Pablo, California, and Hannah Wilson, a data scientist from Chicago, whose four-day cash winnings is now $124,801. It's a lot of money. The Jeopardy Round categories are less than stellar scientific poetry, people, grab bag, 21st century quotes, move fast, and break things. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fun that the $200 level of 20th, 21st century quotes asked for the, the source of the quote, move fast and break things, which is, that's a, that's a Mark Zuckerberg saying. I learned that that day. Oh, yeah. Huh. I'd never, never actually heard that before, I don't think. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Facebook certainly has not. moved fast and broken some things. Democracy. Yeah. Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Is less than stellar scientific poetry. Does the category title just reference that this is like not very good poetry? I I think so. Like I thought it was gonna have to do with stars, but I think it's just saying like we wrote bad poems about scientists. Yeah. And they were bad poems. That's, they were, I, yes. It, I got yeah. I got annoyed by, you know clumsy meter and things like mm-hmm. that. And then I was like, all oh, right. 
They, they, they said it. <laughs> they it's did right specifically there. tell me. <laughs> yeah, it, they were. They could be hard to follow. The thousand dollar clue was a triple stumper. A 1918 Nobel win. It is tough to follow. A German physicist, which kind of rhymes with lyricist. He's a man of constant in quotation marks sorrow. Which I I thought the clue was saying his name rhymed with lyricist, and I was like. What what constant do I know that rhymes with a lyricist? But it's Max Planck. Yep. I was like, what? I mean, Planck came to mind because of constant, but I was convinced that it needed to rhyme with lyricist yeah. because of this weird clue. And you don't even need that line in there. No. You can just make it an ABCB stanza. But you, you know what? It is not stellar poetry. So... <laughs> I mean, that's the secret to anything in life, I guess. If you just say like, hey, this is bad. I'm bad at this. Then no one no one will get angry at you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number one is in Break Things at the $800 level. Hannah finds it at pick number 20. She's at 4800 with Raquel at 1800 and Joe at 1000 And she makes it a true Daily Double and gets the clue. This consonant-heavy word means a break in the unity of the Christian church. And she gets it correct. It's schism. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Hannah's at 13,200, Raquel is at 3,200, Joe is at 2,200, and the double Jeopardy categories are presidents who served, Burt Bacharach, Isthmus Be the Place, Novels, What's That Smell, and A Run for Your Money, run in quotation marks. Hannah ran the run category, but it wasn't, it wasn't a run because it was disjointed and out of order but she did mm-hmm. get all five correct yeah good job hannah yeah i don't think they acknowledged it right no no it was it was very much out of order yeah you know i was expecting mostly idioms and we got mostly idioms and then the 800 dollar level of a run for your money a dab of clear nail polish can halt this fashion disaster hannah said of what is a run in your tights they would have also taken a run in your stockings presume nylons maybe mm-hmm. I, I generally call them nylons like that seems less idiomatic to me somehow i don't know it yeah it's not so much an idiom as just a thing yeah right like <laughs> just a thing <laughs> yeah it's just what you call it like not like the other others in this, like run a tight ship or run of the mill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That one, that one seemed not like the others to me. I always like when one of these two books comes up because you can always see the, like it's because it's the case in point example. You can see the contestants be intentional about it. The twelve, the $800 level of novels in this novel, Ralph Ellison wrote, when they approach me, they see only my surroundings. And Hannah said, what is invisible man? Mm-hmm. as opposed to The Invisible Man. All right. Daily Double number two is in the novels category at the $2,000 level. It's pick number seven. Raquel finds it. She's at 5,600. Hannah's at 16,000. Joe's at 3,800. And she bets it all, which is smart at that point. Guess the clue. The mysterious Anne Catherick strongly favors a certain color in this novel by Wilkie Collins. And she gets correct with what is the woman in white. Mm-hmm. So she doubles up and gets a lot closer to Hannah. And daily double number three is the very next one. Back to Yay. back. At the $1,200 level of presidents who served, uh, Raquel 
you know, right off the previous Daily Double finds this one as well. She's at 11,200 now. Hannah and Joe are right where we left them. Raquel wagers 4,000 this time and gets the clue. Eisenhower did not go overseas for World War I, but earned a medal in part for battling an epidemic of this disease at Camp Colt in Pennsylvania. She tries what is smallpox, but the correct response here is influenza. So she loses some of what she picked up on Daily Double 2. But, yeah. you know, still net up, I guess. Right. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Hannah is at 26,000, but it's not a lock. Raquel is at 14,400. Joe is at 5,800. And we get the final Jeopardy category, actresses and their roles. And the clue is, she made her big screen debut as a teen named Lori in a 1978 film. And in 2022, she played that role for the seventh and last time. Joe got it correct with who is Jamie Lee Curtis from Mm -hmm. the Halloween franchise. And he bet everything but $2, so he goes up to eleven five ninety eight. Raquel also got it correct with who is Jamie Lee Curtis and wagered 8000 mm-hmm. taking her up to 22400 Hannah wrote who is Lee, that's incorrect, and wagered 3000 which was a cover bet. Mm-hmm. And ended at 23000 which means that Hannah wins, even though she got it wrong. Yep. And Raquel was within reach. Mm-hmm. And like Raquel's 8,000 was too much to avoid falling below Joe if he got it right and she got it wrong. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't defending against Joe, but it also wasn't enough to get over Hannah's cover bet if she got it wrong. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Hannah lucked out there quite a yes. bit. Yes. Yep. Lucky break for Hannah. So she gets that she gets that fifth win and the TOC spot. And on Wednesday, our contestants are Hope Silberstein, an attorney from Penn Valley, Pennsylvania, Brad Davis, a talent acquisition writer from Kansas City, Kansas, and Hannah Wilson, a data scientist from Chicago, Illinois, whose five-day cash winnings at this point are $147,801. And the Jeopardy round categories are Welcome to the U.S. House, Classic Movies, here, there, and everywhere. Mission Impassable, way back in the 1900s. And after school, each response will come after school alphabetically. Which I tried to make Mission Impassable so clear, and yet I just feel like I came out sounding like I had a very strong Boston Massachusetts, accent. yeah, Boston accent. Mission Impassable. Yeah. I've realized when the $800 clue of that category came up, the clue is, sit this three-headed doggy of myth you snacked on anyone who tried to escape Hades. Who's a bad boy? You are. He's not a bad boy. He's a good boy. Yeah. He's a good boy. He does what he's... He's a good boy. But I realized that because of the podcast, it has made me, in my own brain, pronounce it Kerberos. Or Kerberos. Hmm. And I'm like, but that would just sound pretentious <laughs> if I said it that way. Or wrong. Right? Like... <laughs> They're looking for Cerberus, even though we've talked about why that's yeah, not necessarily accurate. Mm-hmm. So there's that, I guess. Yeah. I, I liked that all of the after-school responses were the clues would identify 
things that were actually sets of two, and there were two possible correct answers, one of which fit the category and the other which of which didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney canine character who shares on-screen pasta, right? That's There's Lady and there's the Tramp, but only the Tramp, oh, only Tramp is alphabetically after school. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Item needed for the classic kids running race that combines speed and balancing. It's an egg and spoon race, but egg is before school and spoon is after school alphabetically. So spoon is the correct response there. I thought that was a fun sort of hidden piece of how they put that category together. Yeah, it was better than just like, give us a word. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in classic movies at the $1,000 level. Only pick number three. Brad finds it. He's at 400. Hannah's at 200. Hope's at zero. He bets 1,000. Gets the clue. An Alex Trebek movie trivia favorite, who are Janning, Han, Lampe, and Hofstetter, will add they're the German judges on this movie. And he gets it correct. (laughs) What is the judgment at Nuremberg? I don't know. I thought that was a very awkwardly worded clue. Yeah. But he figured it out. He figured it out. So he gets his thousand moves Mm -hmm. up. But it's early on. And by the end of the Jeopardy round, Hannah is up to 9,400. Brad's at 1,800. Hope is at 800. And the double Jeopardy categories are better tomes and gardens from the French, the elements, New Orleans, new New Orleans music. Believe it or not, and straight to jail. <laughs> straight to jail. Mm-hmm. That is a a Parks and Rec joke, I believe. Fred Armisen plays a dignitary from Venezuela visiting Pawnee, which is a sister city. And That's where a, that comes from. I know it as a TikTok sound. I mean, there. I mean, there might be something before that, but there's a bit where he's describing everything that you just go straight to jail. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it on. Know your meme mm-hmm. now. Yep. I I have heard the sound probably hundreds of times. <laughs> yep. And did not know it was Parks and Rec. So. <laughs> Straight to jail. Yeah. We like that one in my house. Mm-hmm. Oh, Henry, the author of The Gift of the Magi was, was a criminal for embezzlement. Yes. <sighs> I mean, I learned it when I watched the Jeopardy episode, but I just, I, I didn't know that. I'm trying to make a gift of the Magi joke about embezzling. But yeah, it feels like it should be right there, but I've been trying to find it also oh. and I haven't. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. We had an unfortunate miss in the $2,000 level of new New Orleans music. In 2021, this New Orleans pianist won an Oscar and released a new album while keeping his day job as Stephen Colbert's band leader. Hope said, who is John Baptiste? But there's no P. It's John Baptiste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's a very talented musician. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy. I enjoy John Baptiste's music. Nice. Yeah. An unfortunate miss also in Better Tomes and Gardens at the $800 level of Slightly different style of unfortunate miss. The clue there was the gamekeeper's little garden in this D.H. Lawrence novel features double daffodils that rose in tufts. Hannah tried what is Madame Bovary. They were looking for Lady Chatterley's lover. And I think that what happened here is that Hannah has learned the like scandalous novels Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a set and swapped a couple of them. Right. Yeah, I totally would have done that too. Yeah. Those are those are two that 
I haven't read either one. And I think that they're linked in my head because I'm like, you know, like, oh, like 19th ish, 19th century, both early 20th. When are they, when were they written? I don't know. Similar ish time period. Hold on. Let's see. When was Madame Bovary written? 1856. Hmm. And Lady Chatterley's Lover. 1920. Okay. So not similar time period. Great. Mm-hmm. We're disambiguating today. Good. Thank <laughs> um, you. Yeah. Yeah. Lady Chatterley's Lover was much later, but like, I feel like they come up in the same kind of, you know, oh, like, you know, overly risque, scandalous, like, you know, questions about book banning. Like, I feel like a lot of those kind of things about like the response to the book come up with both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I was right there with Hannah on the, on the, you know, like, which one is it? Yeah. yeah. All right. Daily Double number two is in the elements at the $1,600 level. It is pick number five. And Brad finds it. He's at $2,600. Hannah is at 9000 Hope is at 2400 And Brad makes it a true Daily Double, which I think is a great Ooh. move. Good yeah. move. And he gets the clue. The name of this metal element, also a deep blue pigment, comes from a German word for a goblin said to trouble its miners. And he gets it correct. It's cobalt. I believe kobolds are the goblins. Mm, Yeah. And daily double number three is in straight to jail at the (laughs) $1,200 level. Pick number 18, hand of uncovers it. She's up to 14,600. Brad is at 4,000. And Hope just keeps approaching the zero line and then dropping below it. She's at negative 400. And... Hannah wagers 4,000, gets a clue. In 1919, he came up with a scheme regarding postal reply coupons and would later offer investors 50% interest in 45 days. And she gets it correct with who is Ponzi. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Hannah's in a lock position with 23,000. Brad is at 6,400. Hope will not be on stage for final jeopardy because she has dropped down to negative 800. And the final Jeopardy category that Hannah and Brad will tackle is International Geographic. And the clue is, in 1901, six colonies joined together to form this nation. Today, the sixth largest in area. They should have listened to your deep dive. This was a triple stumper, or a Mm -hmm. double stumper, I guess, as the case may be. Yeah, Brad tried what is Kazakhstan and wagered all but a dollar. And that's not correct. So he will finish in second place. Hannah did not come up with anything. It is blank. And she wagered 7,000, dropping down to 16,000. Australia was the correct response here. Yep. Yeah. Six main states mm-hmm. and also 1901. Yep. Both pointers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that gives Hannah win number six. Yeah. And on Thursday... We have the contestants, Cat Waller, a school business administrator from Pawtucket, Rhode Island, John Carnegie, a social media manager from Brooklyn, New York, and Hannah Wilson, a data scientist from Chicago, Illinois, who has won six games and $163,801, which is more than I won in seven games. Mm-hmm. But whatever, who's counting? And the Jeopardy round categories are American authors, country music, differs by a letter, Historic Eras and Ages, Travel USA, and Lions and Tigers and Beers. Mm-hmm. There are many beers throughout the world named after lions and tigers. I guess I guess it shouldn't be that surprising. Yeah. 
there are lots of beers throughout the world. Yeah. And there are only so many animals to name them after. Mm-hmm. I mean, Thai beer is sing, spelled like singa, which means lion, but it didn't come up mm. in this category. So there's even more that it could have been. There's more. There's more. Uh, I'm so curious. It differs by a letter at the $200 le- level. Hannah rang in and said, never mind. The clue was overly proud of one's appearance and a form of partic- precipitation. I'm I'm wondering what Hannah had in mind. Yeah. And then realized that it, you know, didn't fit or whatever. Anyway, cat caught the rebound. It was vain and rain. There was a reversal at the $400 level of that category. The clue was to wait patiently and your humble home. Hannah rang in and said, what are bode and abode? And was ruled incorrect. Cat got the rebound with abode and abide. And after the break, they ruled that they would accept bode and abode. I think bode is maybe like archaic. Yeah, maybe. Bode well. Doesn't really seem like that's the wait patiently definition, but I don't know. Oh, they did some research and found, yeah, close found enough, that it worked. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did predictably poorly in the country music category. Same. Even showing the pictures, I'm like, like Keith Urban and Garth Brooks, I have, I could never tell them apart. Mm. They Absolutely don't look not. similar they, to each other. No, no they. I, but I don't know they, what either one looks like. So. And that's really what it is. It's yeah. like I'm like that could be either one because I don't know what they look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know their names. I know that one of them has a an alter ego named Chris Gaines. Is that correct? Is that Garth Brooks? I who is a, think for rock music. So. That I sounds right. Because I find Chris Gaines. Is also Garth Brooks. Okay. Yes. I was curious which way contestants would go on the $600 level, which was one I did note. Wide open spaces by this band seen here sold more than 12 million albums in the United States. They had a picture. This band has changed their name. They are not the Dixie Chicks anymore. And Kat knew that and rang in and said, who are the chicks? They probably would have taken Dixie Chicks, right? Wide open spaces was under that name. I think they'd be hard pressed to say that that's not correct. Yeah. I think it. I think you'd have to take it. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in American Authors at the four hundred dollar level, and Hannah finds it. It's pick number sixteen. She's at forty two hundred with John at eight hundred and Cat at sixteen hundred. She wagers three thousand of it and gets the clue. Born in eighteen ninety six, this author was named for his distant cousin who penned the words to the Star Spangled Banner, and she worked for this one. Like mm-hmm. you could see the wheels turning and she was figuring it out. And then before she ran up, out of time, she got it with who is F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yep. Francis Scott Fitzgerald named after Francis Scott Key. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Hannah's at 8,600. John's at 1,400. Kat's at 5,000. And the double Jeopardy categories are medieval art, medieval works from the collection of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Notable Black Americans, quadrisyllabic words, Asian geography, grandma, and watching my stories. None of that these is not about soap operas. No, <laughs> none of these are stereotypical grandma. I mean, first of all, most of them are movies, right? Most, no, no, I no, never mind. Two two films. No, 
three films, two, two television shows. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, these are, these are not stereotypical grandma fodder. I think. Probably not. No. It is your grandma. Really like gone girl. (laughs) I probably would not watch that with my grandma. No, for sure. not. If grandma is watching outlander, she can do that when I am not present. Cause that would be uncomfortable. I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of smut in that one. Oh, smut. Smut is more for books, isn't it? No, it, right? I mean, it no. works. It works. It's, yeah, okay. I would well, accept it. Yeah. Grandma category at the $2,000 level. They had a picture, and then of this model-turned-author, actress Patricia Neal. Nobody got that one. It is Sophie Dahl. Sophie Dahl is the granddaughter also of Roald Dahl, the author. Oh. Yes. I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Who was married to this notable actress, Patricia Neal. Daily Double number two is the first pick in the round. The notable, first pick, yeah. Yay, in the notable Black Americans category at the... $2,000 level, so John uncovers it. Scores are the same as they were at the end of the Jeopardy round, and John wagers 1400 which is less than 2000 which is the maximum allowable, but it is everything that John has. Mm-hmm. He gets a clue. Known for skydiving while playing sax, aviator Hubert <laughs> Julian went to fight for this African empire against Italy in the 1930s. And wouldn't you know it, it's Jeopardy's favorite response. John gets it right with Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in that grandma category we were just chatting about. It's at the $1,200 level. Pick number 19, and Kat finds this one. So they've each gotten one in this game. Kat's at 7000 with Hannah at 17400 and John at 4800 Kat wagers 3000 I-, I would say go big. Yeah. Here, right? Hannah. Hannah's playing a pretty strong game so gotta take your opportunity but anyway cat gets the clue of this jurist mercedes lopez Gennaro, and she gets it corrected as sonia sotomayor mm-hmm. so at the end of the double jeopardy round hannah is once again above twenty thousand. she's at twenty three thousand. but cat is at twelve thousand eight hundred and John is at 5,200. And the final Jeopardy category is history, and the clue, his epitaph in a church in England reads, sometime general in the army of George Washington. And uh, everyone got this. John wrote, who is Benedict Arnold? That's correct. He wagered 623. Not sure what that number is for him, but seems significant. Cat also wrote, who is Benedict Arnold, and wagered everything but $5. Mm-hmm. Which I get. I mean, Hannah's cover bet would only be what, 2,000? 2, 2,600. Yeah, 2,600, yeah. 2600. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to bet a lot anyway to get, get up above the cover. Yeah. Bet. But Hannah got it correct. She wagered 3,000 with who is Benedict Arnold. And at 26,000, wins her seventh day. Mm-hmm. Moves on up the leaderboard. And on Friday, the contestants are Victoria Ford, an independent bookstore owner from St. Paul, Minnesota. Skylar Galing, an editorial and community associate from Exeter, New Hampshire, and Hannah Wilson, a data scientist from Chicago, Illinois, whose seven-day cash winnings total $189,801. And the Jeopardy round categories are state capital to state capital, triple rhyme time, company headquarters, a birthday to remember, 
game show hosts, and army ants. Ant, Andy, and quotation marks. Yeah. Triple rhyme time. Triple rhyme time. Outside of a tournament. Uh-huh. They missed the $200 level, which was the very first pick of the round. The summary of recent events aboard a party boat with alcohol. That is Booze Cruise News. Nobody <laughs> tried that one. But then, did Hannah get all the rest of them? Yes, Hannah got the other four. I thought the $800 one was the trickiest. Perhaps the Compton rapper with a medical nickname will go. Or, and then Hannah got it, it's Dre May Stay. Yeah, that one you have to like like finish this sentence rather than identify the three things we're talking about. Right. Yeah, yes, and each of the each of the three are sort of implied in the sort of in the first clause, but because it's not it's not synonyms. Yeah. There's an antonym in there. Yeah, so that's there there was like I mean even beyond it being triple rhyme time, there was like another twist on that one. Mm-hmm. But was cute. The $400 level concerned me. The clue is an elevation lower than a mountain named after Uma Thurman's Revenge film series. The, Hannah got it. It's Kill Bill Hill, except I know a person named Bill Hill. He's the typical mm-hmm. player in the Colorado Symphony, and I don't like that. I don't I don't want to kill him. Mm-hmm. He's a very good timpani player and a very nice yeah. person. Mm-hmm. So I was concerned that Jeopardy is trying to brainwash Ad- people into committing murder for the, the murder of Bill Hill. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. How dare they? How dare they? Is, is a tortoise a kind of a turtle? I don't think it is. Is it? I believe they are biologically different. So the $400 <laughs> clue of a birthday to remember. Yeah. I am finding as I search this, that tortoises are turtles, but not all turtles are tortoises. Oh, okay. What? Okay. Yeah. So I think that, I think the be more specific is appropriate. Okay. Today I learned. Yeah, me too. I, I heard the be more specific and I was like, that's not more specific. Those are two different things, but I was incorrect. Maya was right. And I was wrong. The clue there, it was the $400 level of a birthday to remember. On St. Helena in 2022, Jonathan, one of these animals, moved slowly at his 190th birthday fet. But then again, he's always slow. <laughs> and Victoria said, what is a turtle? Mayam asked her to be more specific. She tried a sea turtle. And then Hannah got the rebound with tortoise. So daily double number one is in the state capital, the state capital category at the $600 level. Pick number four, Hannah finds it. She's at 600. Skylar and Victoria are both at zero. And she wagers 1,000 because she should. The clue is, just like Peyton Manning did, head west from this second state capital in the name of a Super Bowl champion team to this first. The the clue was confusing to me, like in the way that it was worded. Like I knew that the, the cities, those mm-hmm. are Indianapolis and Denver. Hannah wasn't able to, wasn't able to pull that. But I don't know what the... Head west from this second state capital in the name of a Super Bowl champion team to this first, presumably state yeah, capital. What's the, in yeah. the name. Are they trying to get you specifically to say Denver and Indian and Indianapolis? Because you head west from Indianapolis from this second state capital in the name of a Super Bowl championship champion team. 
Yeah. To this first. I I have no idea what how that clue is worded. Like why that why it's asking it the way it is. Yeah, that's that's very perplexing. And I like the way I read it. I mean, I couldn't come up with an answer, but I I misinterpreted it as indicating that there is a Super Bowl champion team where there's like two state capitals in the name. And I was like, what state capital could also be like <laughs> a name team of- name? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't figure it out. Even yeah. like, talking through it now, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, what I, I'm, for. I'm really confused about, about the wording of this question or answer as the case may be. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it. I wish I could help you. Is it historically? Is it like the Which- first, the first, team with a state capital in its name to win a Super Bowl was the Denver Broncos Maybe? and the second to win a Super Bowl with a state capital in its name is Indianapolis Colts. Now now this is going to bug me cuz like Green Bay's not a capital, Chicago's not a capital, LA, Oakland, like Pittsburgh's not a capital. They're just New England Patriots. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's a lot of mental gymnastics to like yeah i i maybe they were just trying to like add in a fun little tidbit and just expecting you to know that peyton manning went from indianapolis to denver Mm -hmm. like (laughs) that's a that's a weird clue anyway hannah missed it but she was still the only one to get money after 15 clues at the halfway point and then at the end of the jeopardy round she's up to 9200 Skyler's at 2,000 and Victoria is at negative 1,200. We have the double jeopardy categories. Life is picaresque. Solve for X, E-X in quotation marks. Lesser known film trilogies. Seven letter animals. Hymns and spirituals and this 20th century leader dot dot dot. The $800 clue there in the 20th century leader was born in Georgia in 1878, but not the first Georgia you'd think of. Now that... That is presuming a lot because you don't know. If I think world leaders, I may not necessarily think the state of the Georgia. state of Georgia. Yeah, but that was Stalin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hannah ran that world leader category. Hannah had a great game. Yeah, the other two did not. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. The the net. Winnings like they they did not have a net change the other two contestants over the course of the double Jeopardy round right at the end of the Jeopardy round Skylar's at no we'll we'll we'll, we'll come back to this but Skylar's at two thousand and Victoria's at negative twelve hundred so between the two of them it comes out to eight hundred bucks right mm-hmm. two thousand mm-hmm. minus twelve hundred and then at the end of the double Jeopardy round Skylar is at zero and Victoria is at eight hundred that also comes out to eight hundred bucks and so like yeah you know. It is rough. Yeah. Rough for the challengers. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, and a rough, a, a difficult board. There were a lot of triple stumpers yeah, on this, were. on this board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of incorrect responses. I will mm-hmm. say. Not, yeah. not really that many, even throughout the game, but mm-hmm. just a lot of nobody ringing in. Yeah. One of those, this is just weird. This isn't a trivia thing. This is just like weird cosmic thing in the lesser known film trilogies at the $2,000 level. The middle film of Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi trilogy. It's also the title of an Eagles hit song. Just like just this week, 
for some reason, the word desperado came into my head and I just Mm kind of like went through the different ways that I like that I've heard that word. It, It was very strange. It was very much a, like a trivia person's mindset of like, Oh, that's a word that I don't hear often. Let me think of the places that it comes up. Yeah. <laughs> in case it happens in a question. Right. And then it and then it came up in this question. And I was like, huh. Uh-huh. Bizarre. Yeah. I I had a funny connection and now I'm realizing it's not exactly what I thought it you know, the what I what I thought it was. But I I got sort of amused at the um, hymns and spirituals $800 level, which was a triple stumper. It's where I'm going to lay down my burden and my sword and shield down by the riverside. Is that, is that spiritual? Mm -hmm. And I was like, didn't we just have in a van down by the (laughs) river? river. (laughs) That, that Monday clue was the the correct response that they were looking for, which Hannah gave was in a van, not down by the river. But I thought it was, I thought it was it's I, close I, enough. I, it's- yeah. And I, I recalled it incorrectly as, you know, in a van in this location, right? And I was like, dude, we have two down by the rivers, like that were entirely, entirely different contexts this week, but still kind of a funny coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Daily double number two is in Life is Picaresque, pick number nine at the $1,600 level, and Hannah finds it. She's at 14800 Skylar's at 2400 and Victoria's at zero at this point. She wagers 2000 Maybe maybe doesn't love this category. It's been a little bit obscure. And she gets the clue. Allen Ginsberg said, all the running around in an automobile in this work by his pal was a great picaresque literary device. And she gets it correct. It is on the road. Most of these, most of these picaresque works have been from fairly distant literary history, 18th century and whatnot. But this one's a more recent one. Yeah. And daily double number three is in the 20th century leader category at the $1,600 level. Hannah also finds this one. So she found all three. She, I mean, she just controlled the game the whole time. Mm-hmm. She's up to 20,400. Skylar's at 800. Victoria's at zero. She wagers 3,000. I wonder if she was feeling less confident about the category or if she was feeling like, I don't know, didn't want to rub salt in the wounds. Because, <laughs> you know, she could have wagered 18,000 and still been in a lock position. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, personally, I would have bet more. But yeah, she got the clue. The former... Winsing Kung took a name that means he who enlightens. And Hannah got it correct with who is Ho Chi Minh. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Hannah has a lot game by a lot with 29,000. Victoria is at 800. Skylar is back at zero. So we'll not get to participate in Final Jeopardy, where the category is new words in the 18th century. And the clue is describing these, Captain Cook wrote, the manner in which they're done must certainly cause intolerable pain. Victoria tried what are shackles. That's incorrect. She's wagered all but a dollar. So she'll drop down to a buck. And Hannah got the correct response. What are tattoos? And uh, with an $11,000 wager, she gets $40,000 for this game and her eighth win. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So great run so far from Hannah Mm -hmm. Wilson. Yeah. So that's the week. And this is the break in the middle of the episode when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. You can head over there if you want to 
help us with a couple of bucks a month to offset the costs of making the podcast, hosting and editing technology and whatnot. I've said whatnot a lot of times now. That's okay. That's okay. It's the word um, of the day. Mm-hmm. The word of the day is whatnot. And the Patreon website is patreon.com slash potentpotables. We put the quiz questions up there when we remember. I think Kyle remembered last I week. I did. Yeah. I did. Nice job. We'll see whether I remember it this week. You all can start a betting pool or something. <laughs> uh, That's right. Yes. And we greatly appreciate those of you who are supporting us in that way. So thank you. Yes. In fact, uh, we have a new patron from this week. Ian McGecko. Yes. Um, thank you very much for yes, becoming a patron. Thank you, thank you Ian. We, we appreciate, appreciate it. you very much. Yes. And of course, there are there are some other important things in the world in addition to our our podcast. So you can find some of the ones we especially care about and support in our show notes. Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? I do. Okay. There were a lot of triple stumpers, especially in that Friday game. But yeah, uh, there were. I went with some, just some people who like yeah, maybe 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 it'd be good to talk about Harry Houdini. No, I considered it though. Okay. Him. Max Planck. I did not consider him. No. Okay. No, not a not a mathematician. Virginia Woolf. I could have I could have gone with Virginia Woolf, but oh, no. It's Sorry. Been a while. I've gotten the last few. You have, you have, yeah. I thought I thought I'd branch out a little bit, do something that, you know, was kind of off the beaten path for me. So it's Monday's game. The category was futility, two thousand dollar level. The clue was Harry Potter might have a better chance of turning metals to gold using this medieval substance from alchemy, also called the tincture. I'm not sure that we can call it a medieval substance because it, it did not exist, really. Right. It was not real. <laughs> <laughs> it has not existed at any point in history. That is the Philosopher's Stone. And how do you do a deep dive on a thing that never really existed? I guess we're going to find out today. People are like, Emily, you've done <laughs> you've done deep dives on theology. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, from some folks' point of view, maybe you've already done deep dives on things that don't sure. exist. I, I would say know. there's a yeah. there's an argument to be made either there. Yeah. Anyway, so the Philosopher's Stone is a mythic alchemical substance mythic. Emphasis on mythic. Capable of turning base metals such as mercury into gold or silver. Also called the elixir of life. It is said to be a source of immortality. And for many centuries, it was the most sought after goal in the field of alchemy. Transmuting metals was the, the thing that people were hoping it would do as well as healing all forms of illness and prolonging the life of any person who consumes, consumes it. Diluted in wine is how people imagined they would do that. <laughs> Never did because it doesn't exist. Um, Listen, in medical history, apparently everything that people thought was like, well, Mm -hmm. we'll just mix it in wine. Mm -hmm. Great. Just mix it in wine or honey. Mm -hmm. And it works. Yep. Uh, People also thought the Philosopher's Stone could be used for the creation of perpetually burning lamps, transmutation of common crystals into precious stones and diamonds, reviving of dead plants, creation of flexible or malleable glass, and the creation of a clone or homunculus were some of the intended uses of the Philosopher's Stone. 
Yeah. So taking a step back, alchemy was an ancient branch of natural philosophy, philosophical, proto-scientific tradition, which was practiced in China, India, the Muslim world, and Europe. Most of the stuff about the Philosopher's Stone kind of focuses on more on like European alchemy, European and, and I guess in the Muslim world as well as I saw stuff about that. So, but some core concepts of alchemy, the classical elements, earth, water, air, and fire. And later we get the concept of quintessence, ether, the fifth element. We've touched on that maybe in a quiz. I feel like I heard that from maybe, I don't know. I don't remember. Mm. But anyway, the classical elements are a big thing in alchemy, as well as the seven classical planets. What are the seven classical planets? You may ask. Uh, the sun, the moon, like, wait, those aren't planets. That's okay. It's alchemy. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So all, all visible to the naked eye, although two of them are, are not planets at all, but that's okay. It's it's ancient history. I uh, mean, planet just means wanderer, right? Yeah. Is that, I guess, Traveler? Something yeah. Like yeah, something like that. And each of those corresponded with one of the seven metals of antiquity, gold, silver, copper, tin, lead, iron, and mercury. I'm not sure I kept the planets in there, like classical order. So, so maybe I don't, maybe that doesn't line up like in order, but yeah, four, four slash five elements, seven planets, seven metals, another kind of alchemical kind of concept to know prima materia, the first material, the primitive formless base of all matter connected with the concept of chaos. And the great work, the magnum opus, is an alchemical term for the process of working with the prima materia to create the philosopher's stone, often described as a series of four stages represented by colors, negredo, blackening, or melanosis, albedo, a whitening, or a leucosis, citrinitas, yellowing, or Ooh. xanthosis, and rubedo, reddening, purpling, or iosis. So, so that's some like kind of alchemical, like just terms to, you know, I don't know, be able to recognize these, right? Like yeah. the earliest known written mention of the Philosopher's Stone is in the Chirocmeta by Zosimos of Panopolis around 300 AD. But Alchemists did not really like the idea that they had just come up with the idea of the Philosopher's Stone, right? If it exists, then like surely people have been talking about it forever. And so they assign a longer history to kind of the tradition of the Philosopher's Stone, mm. including claims that the history of the Philosopher's Stone goes back to Adam, who acquired the knowledge of the stone directly from God. Byzantine and Arab alchemists were intrigued by the idea of metal transmutation and there was some there was some searching for the philosopher's stone in that tradition the 8th century muslim alchemist jabir ibn hayyan analyzed each classical element in terms of the four basic qualities hot cold dry and moist so fire is hot and dry earth is cold and dry water is cold and moist like what if the water's hot but okay don't, air air is hot it. and moist <laughs> and then there's some like i don't know i, I, I i'm not going to try and understand the alchemical text right it is it is 
they were doing their best, but it's proto-scientific, like debunked, whatever. What? What? But anyway. No, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> anyway, based on this like hot, cold, dry, moist alignment chart, he reasoned that the transmutation of one metal into another could be affected by the rearrangement of its basic qualities, which would be mediated by a substance which came to be called zerion in Greek and al-ixer in Arabic. Mm. Al-ixer is the source of the word elixir. Makes sense. Yep. In the 11th century, there was a debate about among Muslim scholars about whether the transmutation of substances was possible. Persian polymath Ibn Sina or a- Avicenna, you'll sometimes re- see that written, like the like the kind of anglicized-ish, anglicized, I don't know. The westernized version of his name is all one word, A-V-I-C-E-N-N-A, Avicenna. Uh, but mm. Ibn, Ibn Sina is the, like, like a transliteration of the Arabic. Anyway, he was an opponent of the idea of transmutation, stating those of the chemical craft know well that no change can be affected in the different species of substances, though they can produce the appearance of such change, Mm. Um, which was onto something. Yeah. Yeah. Legend has it that the 13th century scientist and philosopher Albertus Magnus discovered the philosopher's stone. Magnus's writings don't confirm that he discovered the stone but he did record that he witnessed the creation of gold by transmutation in the 16th century swiss alchemist paracelsus believed in the existence of alkahest a universal solvent which he thought to be an undiscovered element from which all other classical elements earth fire water and air were derivative forms and he believed that this element was in fact the philosopher's stone Hey, here's a familiar name, Nicholas Flamel. Nicholas Flamel was a real person. He lived in the 14th century. The writings and legends attributed to him do not appear in the historical record until 1612 at the earliest. So we've talked a little bit about pseudepigraphy, pseudepigrapha in like Bible deep dives. Like this is a, this is a much later case of pro- probably pseudepigrapha, right? People writing under his name. The works attributed to him focus on the pursuit of the philosopher's stone. They spend a great deal of time per- describing the processes and reactions, but never actually give the formula for carrying out the transmutations. Because the formula doesn't exist. What? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. Uh, numerous synonyms were used to make oblique reference to the stone. The Jeopardy clue mentioned the tincture, which I think was on the list that I saw, but the list I was looking at was very, very long. White stone, calculus albus, vitriol, lapis occultus, and then like, there's just like a big paragraph of other names for the philosopher's stone. Many of them are like mystical or mythological references. There's a tradition as well in in Christian settings of alchemists drawing or inferring connections between the philosopher's stone and Christ. Okay. Interesting. Some ancient and medieval alchemical texts mention or, or describe the physical appearance of the philosopher's stone, said to be orange or red when ground to powder, in solid form and intermediate between red and purple, transparent and glass-like. It's often spoken of as being heavier than gold, soluble in any liquid, and incombustible in fire. So 
eventually we get to the rise of like modern chemistry. Robert Boyle's life, 1627 to 1691, is kind of a turning point as he, you know, pioneers the scientific method in chemical investigations, doing, you know, like a more quantitative and, you know, carefully documented approach to to chemistry. Beginning around 1720, a rigid distinction began to be drawn for the first time between chemistry and alchemy. And by the 1740s, alchemy was restricted to the realm of attempted gold making, leading to the public coming to see alchemists as charlatans and the tradition of alchemy as fraudulent. Yeah. No. There was a period where alchemy was kind of flourishing alongside the like the nascent field of modern chemistry, you know, for some decades. And alchemy may have reached its peak in the 18th century. As late as 1781, James Price claimed to have produced a powder that could transmute mercury into silver or gold. But as yeah, but as chemistry continued to establish itself as a discipline, alchemy faded away. And the Philosopher's Stone became widely known to be mythical. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it has been an inspiration, plot feature, or subject of numerous artistic works, films, novels, video games, comics. The most notable, I would say, probably is Harry Potter, right? Like, that's probably... I would think so, yeah. You probably know that Harry Potter... The first book was published in the UK as Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. The title was changed to Sorcerer's Stone for the US because the publisher thought that it was too, like, arcane for the US market. You know, but but the, the Philosopher's Stone plays a, plays a significant role in, in the plot of that first Harry Potter novel. Yeah. And that's that's what I got. That's I mean, nice. you know, <laughs> what what can I really report besides that about the Philosopher's Stone since, you know, didn't really exist. Right. But <laughs> but-, but the pursuit of the Philosopher's Stone you know, was a, was, you know, a whole thing. And it was interesting to learn a little more about it. For sure. Yeah. That was awesome. Thanks. So are you ready for a quiz? I certainly am. All right. So this quiz has, it has a theme, which once you figure out what the theme is, it may kind of help you out on some of the questions, but I think I will, I think I will not tell you the theme. I think, I think we'll just, we'll let the questions stand alone. They're not really about the, the philosopher's stone. Okay. All right. Question one, a technology company with deteriorating computers or a marketing firm that fails to market itself are examples of a proverb with its origins in Spanish. Complete the quotation the blank blank have no shoes. Blank blank have no shoes. A technology company with deteriorating computers or a marketing firm that fails to market itself. I don't think I've ever heard this t- phrase before. Yeah, if you don't if you don't know like the proverb or the yeah. if you've never heard it before, that might be difficult mm. to get. Blank, blank. I usually hear it with a the first, the blank, blank, but I think either way, either way works. Hmm. I I genuinely don't know. So I'm going to say the 
shoe sellers have no mm. shoes. All right, you're not too far off. The cobbler's children have no shoes. Ah, uh, cobbler's children. Have yes. No shoes. Yeah, the cobbler's children have no shoes is like a proverb which then gets applied to like businesses that, you know, are failing to do for themselves what they, you know, what they're <laughs> what they are supposed to be doing for the public, right? Interesting. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. The cobbler's children have no shoes. All right. Maybe that was too obscure. Okay. It may not. We may not be getting any better here. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> Question two. Also known as the shaggy ink cap or shaggy mane, the lawyer's wig has a conical cap, white, pink, or black gills, and a ring on the stipe. What kind of organism is the lawyer's wig? <laughs> What? <laughs> can, can you go through the, at least the description of it sure. again? Sure. It is also known as the shaggy ink cap or shaggy mane. Okay. It has a conical cap, gills which are white, pink, or black, and a ring on the stipe. Well, I don't know what a stipe is. Yeah, but, that's, what, that's why I chose but it, that. <laughs> I'm just kind of picturing a jellyfish, so I'm going to say a jellyfish. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a mushroom. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So the, the gills are the like kind of like ridges on the underside. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not all mushrooms have gills, but the, the lawyer's wig does. Okay. Yeah. And it is not to be confused with the Coprinopsis atramentaria, the oh, yeah, com- usually the, do get the that common ink cap. Oh yeah, no, I yeah, totally Yeah, the common ink those. cap. Mm-hmm, yeah, all the time, which which can be poisonous, especially when consumed with alcohol. So you know, watch out, or you know, just don't don't eat random mushrooms unless you're an expert. The the lawyer's wig appears in the board game Morels, which is a fun <laughs> okay. game. All right, question three. Let me know if you figure out what the theme is at, at any point. I'm working um, on it. Okay, this term was coined in 1947 by Austrian psychiatrist Edmund Bergler, but it has been documented for centuries prior. The poet Coleridge experienced it, as did Harper Lee, and currently George R.R. R. Martin seems to have a pretty bad case of it. What is this malady? I mean, I can... I, okay, well, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm thinking writer's block, but I don't think that... I mean, that could be it, but I also don't... Does George R. R. Martin have writer's block or does he just not want to finish the series? That's that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> like, and is that and is that the but I don't know a term for not wanting to finish a thing. Mm. I don't know that What would that term be? I I genuinely I can't come up with a term. Stuck on third. I don't know. What's the like All right, I'm just going to say writer's block. Oh good. Thank you. It's writer's block. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Writer's block. Writer. The term writer's block was not coined until 1947. That's really interesting. Yeah. I would have thought. Coleridge wrote all of this stuff about how terrible his writer's block was without having access to the term writer's block. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. All right. You are at 10 points. There we go. All right. 
I'm not an aficionado of Disney television, but perhaps you're more knowledgeable than me. Do you remember the title of the series where Leonard Helperman's dog Spot disguises himself as a new student and attends school? It aired from 2000 to 2002 and was followed up with a 2004 film that was reasonably well-reviewed, but flopped at the box office. I'm sure that in your career, you don't have any of these. I do not remember this show or movie at all, I think. Okay. But the going off of the propensity for punny titles and absurd things like, you know, absurd situations like that, I am going to say Teacher's Pet. That's good. You're correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Teacher's, teacher's Pet. I, that was, those were not my, my cartoon watching years. No, um, me neither. Yeah. But it sounds like it sounds like it was a fun show. Nathan Lane was the voice of the dog. Scott lead ready. The second <laughs> his, his pet name was spot, but he posed as a boy named Scott lead ready. The second. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. You're at 20 points. Question five. In the original literary work, Fred and his party guests play a game called Yes and No. But in the 1970 musical version, the group is playing a game called The Minister's Cat. What work, which I think we all agree was best adapted in 1992, includes this festive scene of Victorian parlor games? Oh. The work. You're asking for the work. Yes, I'm asking the, for the, the work. original work. Yeah, the, the original Christmas work. Carol. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. The Christmas Carol. Yes. It's like what? What adaptation? I don't know this one, mm-hmm. uh, but I totally do. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Good. Okay. Yeah that that is that is correct. The Minister's Cat is a game where everyone has you go you go around saying the minister's cat is an or a and then you know adjective of your choice cat and it's like sometimes there's one version where like everyone has to do a and then everyone has to do b or you know whatever and uh, yeah i'm going Um, on a picnic and yeah well i'm bringing is it kind of like yeah there's well that's the other version where it's like if i do a then you do b but then, mm. yeah, but the, there also seems to be a version where everyone has to come up with their A adjective. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if you're doing the, I do A, you do B, you know, she does C, then you have to remember the ones before, I think is part of it. But anyway, yeah, the minister's cat. I was, I was looking up the minister's cat and found that in an episode of Fraser, Fraser Crane shared his plans to have a, have a rousing game of the minister's cat. At Christmas time. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. You're at 30 points. The final category is numerical idioms. And uh, have you figured out, have you figured out what the theme is? Because it may, it may help you. No. So can I ask, is the theme in all of the answers or is it? It is not in all. No, it is split. It's it's split. It's split. It's a wordplay theme. All right, so we had a question about a proverb with the with the response with it with the answer the cobbler's children. Cobbler's children. We had a question about asking about the lawyer's wig with the answer mushroom. 
We had a question about a term coined by the psychiatrist, answer writer's block. Had a question about this television show, answer teacher's pet. And then a question about Victorian parlor games such as the minister's cat. And the answer was a Christmas carol. And all of this is inspired by the philosopher's stone. I think you'll probably be able to get the last one okay. without without yeah, figuring out the theme. Maybe it'll help me figure out the theme. I don't know. Okay. Let's go for it. All right. Uh, final category is numerical idioms. What are you wagering? You've got oh, 30 all points. Of it. Okay. All right. 30. So for 60 points, a certain idiom likely has its origins in medieval regulations that imposed harsh penalties on merchants who were caught selling an underweight order. To ensure that each order met the standard, certain merchants would throw in one additional item. What familiar expression arose from this practice? I'm going to guess it's not the kitchen sink. Because I don't know that they had kitchen sinks then. Yeah. Let's see. Numerical idioms is the category. Yes. I'm assuming it's also not a pound of flesh. That would be... It's different. I have genuinely no idea. I think I think the bagel place observes this custom still, but Dunkin' Donuts does not, in my experience. I, <laughs> is it a baker's dozen? It is a baker's dozen! <laughs> okay, baker's dozen. Yeah, so if you sold, like, an underweight, like, set of yeah. a dozen rolls... You could be fined or perhaps even flogged. Um, And so the custom of throwing in like and and rolls are like bread is unpredictable, right? Like some like sometimes a roll just comes out kind of light because like measuring them is, you know, difficult. Uh, Not exactly. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so the custom of just throwing a 13th one in there because like you don't want to (laughs) be flogged. (laughs) Yes. Interesting. Gives us the gives us the concept of the baker's dozen. Oh, I'm, yeah. I, uh, sometimes the baker's dozen was fourteen. Actually, sometimes they threw two in just to be just to be sure. Okay. Um, yeah. I always, I, I'd always, what what I had heard was that like the baker would make a dozen and one extra for themselves. Oh. Huh. But you have there's I have nothing behind that other than someone told me that once. Like yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I've I've always heard you know that you know a baker's dozen is thirteen. Like you order twelve. Yeah. You order a dozen and they and they give you 13 and it's mm-hmm. like so that if there's like you know if some if a if one or two whatever's has like come out small or light they can't be accused of cheating you because right. they threw in, you know, an extra one to offset any 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 variation of that kind. All right, hey, 60 points. You got Yay. there. What um, was what was the connection? Philosopher's stone, cobbler's children, lawyer's wig, writer's block, teacher's pet, minister's cat, baker's dozen. These are all possessive profession common noun. Wow. Phrases. Yes. Okay. Ne- never getting to that connection. Okay. <laughs> we we considered we were talking at the dinner table about what what phrases I could use for this and some other ones that didn't make it in were athlete's foot, doctor's note, and brewer's yeast. Sure. Okay. Yeah. If you had said those things, I still would never have gotten me. Like <laughs> that would not have been the thing to get me there. Yeah. Yeah. So to go to go with the philosopher's stone. Well, 
I, I, I enjoyed myself. <laughs> no, that's clever. That's clever. Yeah. And, and it's cool. I would, I just was not on that level. Yep. Well, this has been, this has been fun as always. Sorry, sorry for the esoteric quiz it's and the right. esoteric in a different way. Deep dive. <laughs> Uh, yeah i hope i hope some of our listeners figured out the figured out the theme because i love when i'm listening to something and like i get the you know i get the theme or the whatever Mm -hmm. you know as Mm -hmm. the at and i i get to sit there you know listening and feeling clever so hopefully somebody had that experience but in any case listeners thank you for spending your time with us make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are into Jeopardy, which I'm sure all your friends are, let them know about us. Yeah, you can all find us on Facebook at potentpotables, on Twitter at potentpotables1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. <laughs> <laughs>